0: We're looking at the life of Abram. If you weren't here last week, um, this series is going to be six-ish, I think maybe, maybe eight weeks long. I can't remember for sure, but it's a doozy and it's a really good series. There's so much to learn about the life of Abram and what it has for us in the Old Testament, Genesis chapter 12. Um, if you weren't here last week and you want to catch up, you can go onto our website and listen to the message so you don't skip out. Um, but we're, we're talking about Abram, who was later, later called Abraham. And um, last week, the message was called Step Out. Just want to do a quick review so that we're all on the same page. Um, we're taking this text from Genesis chapter 12, where his journey with God begins. And and for, for Abram, man, this is kind of a remarkable story. Because here's God coming to this guy, and the two of them haven't really had much interaction as far as we know, because the story just begins in Genesis chapter 12 with this, where God says, Abram. I want to make your name great. I want to use you to bless the whole world. Um, And and those who bless you will will receive a blessing. Those who come against you, man, will receive a curse. But, But because I'm making you great, because I'm doing something special in your family, the whole world is going to be blessed by it. But here's the deal. To see that happen, you got to go. You got to leave. You got to step out. You can't stay here underneath your family's roof in in a place that you're comfortable in in this little area and see me do great things in your life. You have to step out. There's some things that you have to leave behind. And one of our main thoughts last week is is for every single one of us that that if we really want to follow God into what he's calling us to be and calling us to do and, and reaching our full fulfillment in him... There are some things in our lives that we have to leave behind. There's some addictions. There's some places. There's some choices. There are some bad influences. There are things that if we really want to go with God to do something great for him to bless us and for us to bless this world, there are some things we have to say no to. And it's not easy. So he started this journey with Abram and saying, you got you to go. You got to leave your family. And here's the deal. Abram didn't know a whole lot about God. He was in a very polytheistic society in that place, in that part of the world. And so they worshiped a whole lot of different gods, quote unquote. But here is this God that he barely knows and says, hey, I want you to go on this journey with me. But Abram, Abram didn't really know God that well. It's not like God drew a map and said, this is the X, circle it, this is your destination, this is how you're going to get there. He actually told Abram something completely different. He said, he said, and I'll let you know when you get there. So you're going to go on this journey, and I'm not going to give you all the details, but when you get there, I'll, I'll let you know when that happens. For each one of us, you know that, that point, that, that, that calling is understanding that some things that we learn about God We learn on the journey, not beforehand, that we have to take that step of faith and say, okay, God, I'm not sure where this is going, and I'm not sure what you're doing in my life, but but I'm going to trust you, I'm going to believe with you, and I'm going to go with you, and I'm just going to trust that you're going to take care of me. See, we really get to know God when we trust him. We don't know God first and then trust second. We trust first and then know second. One of the things that, that we talked about last week was this idea that it's a journey. It's a lifelong journey. That whatever step of faith God's calling you today, I can guarantee you, it's not going to be the last. I mean, that would be great, right? If every one of every one of us in our lives just had to make that one decision, that one step out, that one, oh, is this going to work out? But if you follow Jesus long enough, what you're going to discover is is that there's always another step of faith that He's calling you to. There's always another step out. And that decision that you make just doesn't affect you. It affects every single person in your life. I mean, think about Abram. Think about the people like Joshua and Moses and Isaac and all of these people of faith that we look at and it's listed in, in Hebrews chapter 12 and I think it's 11 and 12 and 13 as, as like men of faith that they built this, this this strong following around. None of them ever would have followed God if Abram hadn't made that choice first. And there are people in your lives who are looking at you and are saying, man, I I need to see God in you. I need you to step out in faith to bolster my belief and my understanding, show me how to do this. And that was a really powerful thought last week as we pulled back and we thought about, man, these people around us that need to see us following Jesus boldly. Now we get Abram in Genesis chapter 12 into the promised land. And some crazy things happen that cause a lot of fear. What are you afraid of? Anybody? What are you afraid of? What's your big fear? Bugs. Gotcha. All right. And the more legs, the better, right? What are you afraid of? What are you afraid of? Spiders. That's called arachnophobia, right? There is a phobia for every single thing and every single thought in this world. I discovered that this week. I just got on the great thing called Google and I listed fears and it pulled up websites of like thousands and thousands of fears. When I was a kid... What I was afraid of was three things. The dark, which I've told you before. The second one, I'm a little hesitant about sharing it with you, but I'll go ahead and say it. Clowns. Um, I, I don't get it. I mean, clowns do not bring me any joy whatsoever. And I have a picture. I tried to find it this week. I have a picture at home. Where my mom thought it would be a good idea to break me of this fear by dressing me up as a clown for Halloween. It didn't go well. I'm just saying. It was a rough night. And the other thing I was afraid of as a kid, and this makes a whole lot of sense, is scary movies. So I scary movies, clowns, and if it was a a scary movie about a clown, it was all over. But I remember a night as a young adult, I was young in ministry. And um, I, I had a really good friend of mine who lived in a town about 30 minutes away I went to college with. And he said, hey, Jared, let's go see a movie together. And so he was in ministry, I was in ministry, and I was like, sure, let's go let's go hang out, you know, go see a movie. So we went to this little place called Popper Bluffs, like 30,000 people, whatever, small town in Missouri. And uh, we went and saw a movie, and I let him choose. And I didn't know a whole lot about the movie we were watching, but it was a movie called Darkness Falls. Anybody seen that movie? Let's just say everything that I was afraid of as a kid was wrapped up in that movie. Instead of it being a clown, it was the Tooth Fairy, which is equally as scary. I mean, come on, who wants something coming into their room? Now I know I'm going to be a dad that we're the Tooth Fairy, right? 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 Is that how it works? But in this movie, is absolutely freaky that this, this Tooth Fairy weird thing, that if you see it, and it sees you, that it haunts you for the rest of your life until it kills you in this little town called Darkness Falls. It is absolutely terrifying because if as soon as the lights are out, she can get you, right? And so in this movie that is absolutely terrifying, there's one scene where the kid's underneath the covers and he has a flashlight and he hears something bump in his room and he puts down the sheet and he puts a the flashlight that, and then like the Tooth Fairy's face is right there and she's like, ha, ha, and he shines his flashlight and he runs into the bathroom and turns it on absolutely terrifying. I saw this movie and when I got home, I was staying at a friend's house in their basement and I was freaked out. I laid in bed and turned out the light. And then as soon as that light went out, my eyes closed and they were not opening for anything. But here's the deal. I had to use the restroom. And so I remember like two o'clock in the morning, sitting up in bed And like going like this above my head until I could find the cord to the ceiling fan that had the light on it because that's what I turned off. My fingers are like, you know, as it hits the ceiling fan. And I was not going to open up my eyes until I saw the light hit on the, it took me 10 minutes of going like this. I was 23 years old. (laughs) That's how bad it was. I am embarrassed to admit it, but I was freaked out. And that was like a month, a month's worth of like freaking out. I literally slept with a nightlight from there on until it was bad. Now I'm not scared of the dark now, but I don't watch scary movies ever. It freaked me out. What are you afraid of? What are you afraid of? If you have acrophobia, you're afraid of anybody know? Acrophobia, you're afraid of the heights. You're afraid of heights. Um, if you have glossophobia, you're, you're afraid of public speaking. Anybody afraid of public speaking? Sometimes I am. All right, here's a good one. If you have hippopotamo phobia, you have the fear of long words. It's a, it's a true thing. Like, who came up with that? They just made a long word and says if this word scares you, then you have a fear of long words. If you have nictophobia, anybody? You're afraid of the dark. If you have phobophobia, you have the fear of fear, right? The fear of fear. Here's, here's a good one. If you have tocophobia, I think my wife has this one. Does anybody know what that one is? Tocophobia? If you have the fear of pregnancy and giving birth? Um, she was talking about the day. I should have said it was okay to say this, but I didn't because it just popped in my head. I should never say things that pop in my head about my wife while I'm preaching. But I, she sat down and she said, Jared, do you realize four months from today I'm supposed to be giving birth? And for some reason, I just got really terrified or really scared of it, really anxious, like right now. Like women are like, yeah, you should. <laughs> it's, it's burn. If you have gynophobia, you have the fear of women. I mean, this is real... I thought I had that for like, I had that for like 36 years until I got married. Um, I'm still afraid of my wife from time to time. I'm just kidding. she's super sweet. Look at her. Here's the deal, is that the reason there are thousands of words that talk about fear is because it's a real thing, right? There are things in life that we're just afraid of. Now let's look at Abram, see what he was afraid of. It says, in the promised land, famine. Oh, excuse me. Now there was a famine in the land. Now let's just hold on a second. Where is Abram? Abram's been following God on this long journey, and he's gotten to a place that God has led him to, right? And then right off the bat, in Genesis chapter 12, verse 10, it says, now there's a famine in the land. Now i got to think... Come on, God, right? I mean, I'm following you. I'm going where you're telling me to go. I'm going on this journey. And now you take me to a place and a famine hits. And, and the scripture goes on and says, and Abram went down to Egypt because the famine was severe. It's severe. And he's afraid. And because he's afraid of this large famine that's taken over the world, he, he takes over. He, he, he leaves and he heads. To Egypt, and that's where it really gets crazy. Verse 11 says, As he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife Sarai, Now, Abram is just dumb um, because he says this He says, I know what a beautiful woman you are. What a wonderful compliment, right? Every wife would love to hear that. Honey, you're so beautiful. You're the most beautiful woman I know. You're beautiful. When the Egyptians see you, they're going to say, This is his wife. Then they will kill me, which is fear, right? I'm afraid of death, but will let you live. So they're going to kill me because of how good looking you are. Listen to Abram's plan. Say you are my sister so that I will be treated well for your sake and my life will be spared because of you. Now, how ridiculous is this, gentlemen? Do any of you think you could get away with this with your wife? I mean, if I would have said this to to my wife and said, Hey, babe, we're going to this place. They may, you're really beautiful. They might kill me, so you're my sister, right? Can we just say that? She's going to say, no. And if you keep pushing this, you don't have to worry about them killing you. I'm going to kill you, right? I mean, this is absolutely ridiculous. But he goes on. He says, when Abram came to Egypt, I guess they just thought it was a good idea. My wonder is, is what's the outcome going to be, right? So when Abram came to Egypt, the Egyptians saw that Sarai was a very beautiful woman. And when Pharaoh's officials saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh, and she was taken into his palace. Guess what? As his wife. He treated Abram well for her sake, and Abram acquired sheep and cattle, male and female donkeys, male and female servants, servants, and camels. But the Lord inflicted serious disease on Pharaoh and his household because of Abram's wife, Sarai. And so, so we have so we have Abram afraid, and out of his fear, he comes up with a ridiculous plan that he passes on to his wife, who who I would have to say she'd have to be kind of afraid to go along with such a stupid plan, right? And then now she's in a place where she's being treated as the wife of another man when her husband is right there. I mean, that can't be exciting for her, right? And now Pharaoh's whole household is inflicted with serious disease. And I'm sure he's terrified because look what happens next. It says, um, so, Ab- so Pharaoh summoned Abram. He says, what have you done to me? Why didn't you tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister? So that- that's what I took her to be my wife. Now then, here's your wife. Take her and go. Then Pharaoh gave orders about Abram to his men and they sent him on his way with his wife and everything he had. Do you see how ridiculous this is? I mean, what could Abram have thought good would have come out of saying, This is this is my wife? But it was it was fear. And we all struggle with fear. So just a few thoughts today, just real quickly, for this idea of fear that we all face. The first thing is this if you're following you, can write this in your notes. Recognize that fear is the enemy of faith. Fear is just not hard on faith, but it is the enemy of faith i mean look at abram's journey so far he hears this voice he follows god he's god is 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 leading him and he's building these altars he's having this moving experience of trusting this god who's promised to bless him then the stuff hits and when it hits abram doesn't handle it well it's as if his faith flies out the door as soon as fear rears its ugly head But we can't be too hard on them because we do the same thing, don't we? We hear bad news. We get a report from a doctor. We have a threat of losing our job or we do lose our job. And as soon as that stuff hits, man, it's like we forget of all those amazing things that God has done in our life. And our fear just waltzes or our faith just waltzes right out the door. But that's not who we are. I love this verse, this promise, 2 Timothy 1, seven. It's more of a declaration. It says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, of love, and in self-discipline. As followers of Jesus, the writer Paul, is, he's writing this young man, Timothy, whos he's trusting to lead the church into the future because his, he knows that he's about to be killed for the cause of Christ. And he says, Timothy, let me just tell you, Fear, man, it is not a part of you. Don't give into it. It's not natural as a follower of Jesus. But you have something better inside of you. You have power. You have love. You have self-discipline. Allow the Holy Spirit to create those things inside of you. You see, fear avoids. Here's how it's the enemy of faith. Fear avoids, but faith, it faces I've gotten to a habit, it drives my wife crazy, of listening to Dave Ramsey every single day. Anytime we get on the car, I pull it out, the app, and I start listening to him. And it's remarkable to me, all the stories of people who are going through crazy financial things, who basically tell Dave that it got so bad that we just ignored that it was even there. There was a lady who was talking about how she had $190,000 worth of student loan debt. And she's like, I haven't even looked at the statement in years. I don't even know what to do. And Dave just said, young lady, I know you're afraid, but just because you haven't looked at it in years doesn't mean it's not still there. But fear it avoids. It's that as long as I don't look at it, it's not really their mentality, and it's just not true. Fear avoids, but faith faces. Faces. okay, what's the problem, God? What are we really going through? How can can we overcome this? What can you do, Lord? Fear paralyzes, but but faith propels. You know, have you ever heard the saying that they were just paralyzed with fear? It's a real thing. Sometimes when we get so afraid, it's just our our body just locks up and we don't know what to do. We don't know what to say. And it just doesn't happen to us physically, but it happens to us emotionally and emotionally. And mentally, I mean, we we have a problem in our lives and we can't even think about how to fix that problem. We're just paralyzed mentally and emotionally. Has anybody ever been there before? Is it just me? It happens in life. See, fear paralyzes, but faith, it propels. Faith just says, God, it may be difficult, and I've got two options. I can either circle the wagons and, and just and just try to protect myself and my people, or, or, or God, we can roll up our sleeves, and you and I can do something great together. Let's figure this out. Fear sees disaster, but faith sees deliverance. Fear only sees the problem, but faith sees the God who's bigger than any problem we could ever encounter. Fear moves us to panic, but faith moves us to prayer. How many of you remember Y2K, the problem with Y2K? You remember that? How crazy was that, right? 1999 is rolling around, and all of a sudden, all these people and these banks are just like, look, guys, when we wrote these codes for these banks and this banking stuff... We forgot to include the problem that one day it's not going to be 99. There's going to be two zeros there. And we're not really sure what it's going to do to the stock market, to the banking industry. And people started freaking out about it, right? You remember that? I had a close friend whose family stocked their basement full of water and canned goods and ammo and guns. They were like the original preppers of 1999, right? They're just like, hey, Jared, on December 31st, 1999, if you want to come over, one of my buddies said, well, if you want to come over, you can hang out at our house just in case all this stuff goes down. You can go in our basement with us and we're going to be okay. And I was like, are you insane? Are you literally insane that, that we're panicking about some numbers? Look, I didn't clean out my bank account. Not that there was a whole lot in there to begin with, but, but some people did is the panic, right? Here's the thing. How many of you make good choices when you make choices in a panic mode? Anybody? It just doesn't happen. But what if instead of allowing fear to move us to panic, our faith moved us to prayer? And we say, God, I'm not going to panic about this. I'm not going to just run around like a chicken with my head cut off. But God, I'm going to seek you, the creator of all things. And I'm going to seek your face and your desire and your design, and I'm going to say, God, what do you have for us? Fear magnifies the problem, but faith magnifies the possibilities. See, our problems, sometimes they can seem bigger than life, but they're really not. I mean, our church right now, where we are, we've got some problems. We've got a few problems. One, we're getting big, er, right? And with bigger means that we need more space but we only have this building, right? And so that means we have to go to services, which is another problem. Where are we going to get all the volunteers that we need? Finances. It's okay, but you know, our budget, we're a little under budget every single week, two or $300. That's another problem. That's just the way it is. But here's the mentality that we can have about it. We can say, God, these problems are so huge. What are we going to do? we would just circle everybody up and we'll just stick our heads together and 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 just mope and be afraid and just, just stay exactly the way we are. Or we can say, God, what's your possibility? What's the possibility for the future? And instead of sticking our heads together and moping about where we are and what could happen, we stick our heads together and we say, Holy Spirit, give us creative ideas. What are the possibilities for our future? Help us to dream big. Help us to be creative. Help us to see what is possible in Santan Valley when another church decides to live for God and do extreme things in serving Him. That's all the possibilities. You see, faith magnifies those things. It brings them to life. It gets in our heads and our hearts and causes us to do some crazy things in the name of Jesus. But, But fear, it just magnifies the problems. Here's a second thought. Never let fear cause you to compromise your identity or your destiny. Abram believed God, and he went on a crazy journey with God, leaving everything he had. He's been building altars, and he's been on this journey, and he's been traveling, and he's been listening, and God's been speaking to him over, and and he's been responding to God's voice. And then all of a sudden, he faces the fear, and he compromises. He compromises. God says, I'm going to make you a great nation. Your People are going to be blessed by you. All this land is going to be for your descendants. Now my question is, is how is the descendants apart going to happen if his wife is now the wife of another man? It makes absolutely no sense. But he compromised. He was afraid. He had God speak a destiny into his life now he's giving it up because of fear never let fear to cause you to compromise your identity or your destiny never allow fear to cause you to compromise your identity or your destiny i was on facebook this week and i saw this video it was actually rather funny it was a prank call this australian news station was doing i don't know if you've seen this or not go across on facebook one of you may have posted it and i watched it but but these two uh, DJs just got a random telephone number and called this guy. And uh, their prank was going to be this skit where they just said, hey, I'm going in for a job interview, and I just chose these numbers by random, and I put it on there because I didn't know you know, who to reference as one of my references, and so I just, I just put your number down. And I'm going in for the interview today, and I was wondering if you would cover for me. And would you just be one of my references? I know you don't know me and I don't know you, but would you be a reference for me? The guy was like, sure. I mean, what are the odds they're really going to call, right? So yeah, I'll be, I'll be one of your references. And so about 15 minutes later, the, the guy, the DJ's partner called back acting as the interviewer who just did the interview with this guy. And he just says, Hey, so and so, say John. John, um, Mike put you down as one of his references. What can you tell me about him? Mike is going to be working for us, handling millions of dollars of investments for people all over the world, and he wrote you down as one of his references, what can you tell me? And this guy goes on to say, oh man, you know, Mike's a really good guy, you know, he's really trustworthy, I would hire him in a second. And then the interviewer said, well, um, what are some of his best qualities? The guy's like, um, uh, well, he's really honest, you know, and he just starts making stuff up about this guy's good qualities. And he says, well, he says, Mike wrote down that he speaks multiple languages. What are the other languages that he speaks? And the guy's like, whoa. (laughs) Um, I'm Australian and that's all I know. And so I don't know any other languages, but I hear him speaking something else every once in a while. And so whatever that is is what he speaks. And the guy's like, okay, so he does speak multiple languages. He's like, yeah, he really does. And he says, okay, well, um, What is his best quality as a person, you know, physical, his best physical quality? The guy's like, oh man, you know, you could just, he's, he's, he's like coming up with stuff like he's, uh, he's a really handsome guy and dresses well. And he's just making this stuff up, trying to get this guy a job. And the two DJs just finally call it off and just say, dude, this is a prank call, so-and-so. And And the guy starts laughing. And he says, can I just tell you, you're the best bloke I've ever seen. I want you to be one of my closest friends. And then I thought, as I was listening to this, I don't want this guy anywhere around me. Because he's not a good bloke. He's just a straight-up liar. And he had no problem lying to a company who was about to give a job to a man who handles millions of dollars for other people that was okay asking for somebody else to lie to him. It is nuts. It's nuts. That's not the type of person that I want in my life. Now that's just a random, funny cover-up for a person, but it gets a whole lot harder when it's a family or a friend. They say, "I, I need you to cover for me at work, can you just say dot, dot, dot? And I just say don't. Don't, even though it'll be hard. Isaiah 8, 12, and 13 says this. Don't be like this, people. Always afraid somebody's plotting against them. Don't fear what they fear. Don't take on their worries. If you're going to worry, worry about the holy. If you're going to worry about something, worry about the holy. The fear God of the angel Armies. He said, if you're going to worry about what somebody thinks about you or what, what plans they may have for you, don't let it be about some peon on this planet. Let it be about God. What does God think about you? How does God see you? Worry about that. You see, when you compromise, you forfeit a piece of who you are. And I'm just saying, remember who you are. What's your identity? What does the scripture say you are? You're holy. You're blameless. You're a child of God. You are a child of God. You are a son or daughter heir heir to the not heir but heir to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. His inheritance is yours. Live like that. Not some sorry bloke on the side. See, don't allow fear to allow you to compromise who you are. Here's another thought. Beware of the contagious effects of fear see, Abram's fear, it was just Abram's at first. And then he gave Sarai this great plan. And then who got afraid? Sarah. And when they went to Pharaoh and, and she lived with them and that disease struck, now who's afraid? Pharaoh. Pharaoh, Sarah, Abraham. They're all afraid. And, and, and Pharaoh was so afraid that he says, hey, Abram, um, I want you to leave, but you're going to take with you all the stuff that I just gave you. Cause I don't want anything of mine in, or of yours in this place. Get out. That's how afraid he was. It passed on from person to person to person to person. I read this funny story online, um, about these two gas company men who were, um, checking meters and they parked on, on the, on the end of one street. And they were working down this, these houses and they got to the end and, uh, they were checking this meter. Of this this lady, and, and she was there in the kitchen um, looking out as they were checking the meter. And while she was looking out, um, the story says that the the older serviceman was was training the younger guy, and they had been kind of bantering back and forth all day long. And the old man was you know trying to still prove that he had what it took, and that, and that no young man could keep up with him. So he looked at the kid and he said, "Hey kid, let's race back to the truck. I bet I can beat you." And they took off running. I mean, they were just booking it down this alleyway to get to the truck. And when they got to the truck, they heard these footsteps behind them, and they looked back, and it was the old lady. And she was just panting. (sighs) And they looked, man, what are you doing running behind us? And she said, fellas, when I see two gas men looking at my reader and then take off running, you can bet your bottom dollar, I'm running right behind them. How many is that our story? I know it's silly, it's probably not even true, but it's a little bit funny, right? But it's reality of life. When we see that panic in somebody else's life, or we just assume they're afraid, it is contagious. Scripturally, look at this story. Moses has just took the people up to the promised land and he sends in some spies to check it out. And they come back with a report that you know what? It's tough. It's the promised land. It's beautiful. It's got everything that we want. It's got the. It's overflowing with milk and honey and all that good stuff, but there's some giants and some fortified cities in there. Listen, what happens? It says Caleb tried to quiet down the people. These other guys that went with him, as they stood before Moses, And, and Caleb said, "Let's go at once to take the land." He said, "We can certainly conquer it." But the other men who explored the land with him disagreed. We can't go up against them. They're stronger than us. So they spread this bad report about the land among the Israelites. Then the whole community began weeping aloud and they cried all night. I mean, the, it was the promised land. It has been promised by God that they will take it. The Lord's been delivering them one step after another. Manna and pillars of fire and clouds and just doing amazing things. And they get there and because of the fear of a few men... It spread amongst everybody. And they spent the next 30 years walking in the desert. Is it 40 years? 40 years. Walking in the desert. Until every single one of them, except for Caleb, Joshua, and Moses, were dead. And the next generation we get to go into the promised land. Because of fear. Because of fear. I'm sure every single one of you in this room remember where you were September 11th, 2001. You remember the sadness and the brokenness. I remember being in a small town in Donovan, Missouri, 1,800 people in the middle of nowhere in the Mark Twain National Forest, watching this on the TV in this overwhelming sense of sadness and fear and horror as I'm watching all these things happen. And then as it continues to happen, people in this little small town started to get afraid. And they went down to the grocery store and nearly emptied it, buying everything that was inside of there because they just knew something else bad was going to happen. And they went to gas stations. You remember gas stations with cars lined up for miles trying to fill up their tanks because they just knew that everything was going to shut down. And it was fear. And it was, it was justifiable reason to be afraid. And there were people in our church saying that this is God's judgment upon America and they were afraid of what was next. And then something turned in that fear. Left, and instead of being afraid, there was this trust and community and camaraderie and patriotism started taking over as people stopped looking at the fear and started looking towards God. You see, fear is contagious, and what you are afraid of can be quickly passed on to those that you care about. Haley and I, we have some in laws who are afraid. I have in-laws, some of her relatives, who are afraid to fly. And uh, they just they just don't want to. And they have two kids that are, that are our nephews. And we're always telling them, man, we would love to have your nephews come out and spend the week or in the summer. And here's the deal, we'll pay for them to come. You know, we'll do this, we'll do that. And, they're just, and the little nephews are like, we're not getting on a plane, we're afraid to fly. It's like, hey, you're just like 12 and 13 and 14. You're just eight. How can you be afraid to fly? You've never been on a plane before. It's silly, but it's real. We pass on our fears to the people around us. Here's one last thought, real quickly, as we're running out of time. It says, while fear may blind you from seeing God, it doesn't blind God from seeing you. And that's a beautiful truth to hold on to. While fear may blind you from seeing God, it doesn't blind God from seeing you. Who did Abram Never consult in this crazy process and situation. God. I mean, you look throughout his journey, and Abram has been going to God. God's been speaking over And then this fear happens, and he doesn't even bother to say, hey, God, what's the plan here, buddy? Well, I don't know if you say buddy to God, <laughs> especially then, but, but what's the plan? What do you want me to do? Where do you want me to go? How are we going to figure this out? I can guarantee you that God's plan wouldn't have been, hey, lie to people and tell tell them that Sarai is your sister so that she'll become another man's wife and we'll just take care of it that way. That wasn't God's plan. He couldn't see God because of his fear. But here's the beautiful thing, that no matter what choice Abram had, God was still working and trying to bring beautiful places in his life. We just, um, Haley and I just bought a crib, what, two weekends ago? And as I was thinking about this point, I got this beautiful picture, and I'm sure parents, every single parent has ever been there before. You know, that baby is in the crib. It's dark in the room because it's late at night, and it's just screaming and kicking its legs, and it's afraid or it's hungry. But whatever it is, it's terrified. And as you're walking into that room, you're standing above that crib, and, and that baby doesn't know you're there but you are. And even though it's afraid, it's also safe because mom and dad is is standing right there above watching that child and just ready to scoop them up at the right time. Have you been there as a parent? I know one day I will. The baby's safe, but it's terrified. Its parent is there ready to pull them up and to give them what they need, but but not just not just yet. See, that's a picture for us. That the fear is real, that the that the process is painful, but God has not and never will abandon us. Joshua 1 9 says this. Joshua is now leading the people into the promised land. We know that it's going to be tough. There's going to be wars. There's going to be battles. There's fortified cities and giants. And look what the Lord says to Joshua. This is my command. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid and discouraged. Why? For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. You see, God didn't give up on Abram. He didn't give up on Joshua. He doesn't give up on us. Wherever you find yourself, God can deliver you. Whatever fear is racking your body, God can bring you peace. God can. God can.